Last season was an incredible ride with top-notch vibes for the Sacramento Kings, but this season, there's the weight of expectation. So, what do the Kings have to prove this year in order to call it a success? We'll discuss right here on Locked on Kings. You are Locked on Kings, your daily Sacramento Kings podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. And now... Ladies and gentlemen, it is that time. Time for another episode of Locked on Kings. Hello and welcome to Locked on Kings, your podcast hub for Sacramento Kings coverage all offseason long. My name is Matt George. I have the privilege of being your host here. I'm a Sacramento sports reporter and producer for ABC 10 News. When discussing what the Kings have to prove, really we're looking at different areas and aspects that maybe the Kings showed last year or areas that the Kings have cracked the door open or in some ways kicked the door open on being a good basketball team that they need to show that that's either repeatable, sustainable, or they're capable of building upon it to ultimately get to that next level, which is, as the Sacramento Kings general manager Monty McNair explains, like opening that championship window, developing into a championship contender. And while it's not impossible for the Kings to uh, to be a contender as early as next season, it's relatively unlikely, but you don't want to waste the season, right? You still want to climb the ladder, so to speak, and the Kings can do a lot this year to help prove that they're ready to really make that big championship jump without actually inserting themselves into the championship conversation right away. And a lot of that is proving some of the things that I have written down here. A list of things that I believe the Kings have to prove this season. Also a list of things that I believe for the most part the Kings will prove this season. Some of this is as a team. Some of this is focusing on individuals. But we'll actually start with what the Kings don't have to prove. And this is pretty simple. The Sacramento Kings don't have to prove that last season wasn't a fluke. They don't. Look at how good the Sacramento Kings played last year. Look at the improvements that they made to the roster this year. Look at how good the roster already was before those improvements. And look at what the Sacramento Kings, how they were able to succeed last year and how it was sustainable. It was something that they were able to do over the course of the entire season. Now, when we get to playoffs, playoffs are a little bit different. And maybe you're looking at playoffs and you're separating playoffs from the regular season, you see the Kings with their incredible offense that they had during the regular season and how they struggled offensively during the playoffs. Or you can look at how bad the defense was during the regular season, but how good it was in the playoffs. Maybe you separate those things. And of course, now that the Kings have broken that playoff drought, now that they are expected to be in the playoff conversation, in fact, all of us would be very disappointed if the Kings weren't a playoff team next year. That's certainly not taking the steps forward to being a championship contender uh, like they want to be. So, Probably the majority of us, our focus is on on the playoffs. But you have to play an 82-game regular season in order to get there. And now the Kings might find themselves in a position where, like championship contending teams and proverbial playoff teams, they're using these 82 games not only to secure the best seed that they can, potentially secure home court advantage and, and secure maybe the most ideal opponent that they can in the early rounds of the playoffs, Ultimately, they're trying to warm themselves up, tune themselves up, uh, sharpen the edges, figure out the struggles, use those 82 games to maximize their ability to make a deep playoff run. But they don't have to prove that what they did last season 
wasn't a fluke because there's nothing about last season that suggests that it was. Even if for whatever circumstance, the Kings slide, even if the Kings aren't the third seed, maybe they're the fourth, fifth, sixth seed. Maybe they win the same amount or fewer than 48 games. Of course, context is important, but that doesn't make what the Sacramento Kings were able to do, how they established themselves as one of the greatest offenses we've ever seen. How a group that had barely spent any time together was able to take the league by storm the way the Kings were last year. Nothing about last year was a flu. So we can remove that from the Kings' plates, and we can truly remove that from our mind. Anybody who's saying the Kings need to prove that last season wasn't a, fru- a fluke, they aren't wor- worth listening to because they probably didn't pay attention to Sacramento Kings basketball until the best of seven series against the Golden State Warriors. And even if you're just looking at that series, which the Kings lost, which the Kings blew a 2-0 lead, which three out of the five starters, you could argue at times four out of the five starters did not perform up to the level that the Sacramento Kings needed them to perform. Nothing about that playoff series. How Difficult, the Sacramento Kings made it for the defending champions. Nothing about that playoff series suggests that the Kings are a fluke. They're a damn good basketball team. So we can remove that from any list of what the Kings have to prove this season. But some of the things they do have to prove. Let's talk about that. How about, let's start with the offense. That NBA best offense. I'm not talking about the best offense of all time, right? The offensive rating of 119, averaging 120 points per game. Can the Kings build upon that? Probably, the way the NBA is going. Will the Kings? I don't know. Should we expect the Kings to? Eh, Probably not, but you would hope that they could be in the same ballpark, right? In that 117, 118, 119 offensive rating mix. In that 116, 17, 18, 19, 120 points per game range. If they stay there and they're showing that they're capable of continuing that, because look, the Kings aren't catching anybody by surprise anymore. Teams know how the Sacramento Kings play. This team is, at least the starting lineup and and the top six, top seven guys on this roster are a complete cut and paste copy from last season. So in theory, the Kings are going to be the exact same as they were on offense, hopefully a little bit better in some areas. Maybe consistency is the way that this team ultimately gets better offensively. Defensively, hopefully they're better. Maybe they're doing some things that are new defensively that other teams have to figure out. But offensively, the Kings aren't going to surprise anybody anymore. That doesn't mean they're going to be able to stop the Kings, right? So can the Kings prove that this offense is sustainable, even though teams are going to know that they're going to run DHOs through DeMontis Sabonis a lot. De'Aaron Fox is going to constantly be on the tack. The Kings are going to put Keegan Murray and Kevin Herter out there on the perimeter to rain threes on them all day. Like, is this offense sustainable? Is this offense consistent at the same rate? Can they carry out the effectiveness of last season? That is their identity, very much their identity. That is how the Sacramento Kings are going to become a championship contender and ultimately win a championship. As it stands right now, the way the Kings win a title is because of their offense. So can they prove that that, that's not just like a one-year thing, right? That that level of offensive output can carry out through another season, through future seasons, and through tweaks and changes that opposing defenses are going to make. That's number one. Also, the Kings do have to prove that choosing continuity is the right decision over making roster upgrades, right? The Kings brought their entire starting five back with the exception of Sasha Vizenkov, Chris Duarte, and then like Colby Jones, I guess you could, the kid that they drafted, Colby Jones, I guess you could add him into the mix. For the, the rest of the team, is the exact same. 
I think continuity is absolutely the right move. In a lot of ways, in the past with other teams, continuity has ended up working great. Look at the Denver Nuggets, right? The Denver Nuggets stuck with what they had. They could have easily gone another route and replaced Jamal Murray. I don't think they ever would have given up on Nikola Jokic, although there were a ton of people talking about Nikola Jokic in similar ways that they're talking about to Montes Sabonis right now. Hey, you can't build around this guy. You need more than just this kind of type of center. Now he's a multi-time MVP and an NBA champion. Of course, along the way, the Denver Nuggets made changes, made additions, like, of course, the addition of Aaron Gordon. And maybe that caliber of addition for the Sacramento Kings has still yet to come. But the continuity choice, at least from last season to this season, is that the right decision for the Sacramento Kings to where they know going forward that this group can help them climb that ladder, can help them open up that championship window? They have to choose that that's the right decision. And if it's not, then how quickly do they move on from that? Are we looking at this upcoming trade deadline in February and going, okay, I know you just re-signed Harrison Barnes. He's got a movable contract. Now you look to go in another direction. Or, hey, maybe... Kevin Herter's inconsistencies as a shooter is truly a problem, and you look for an upgrade there. Is continuity the right move for the Sacramento Kings? Again, this group, as assembled, doesn't have to win a championship next year for that to be the right group. But are they still working and moving in the right direction? Are guys stepping up? Are they looking like even more of a cohesive unit than they did last season? Are guys like Malik Monk and Davion Mitchell carrying their weight off of the bench? These are the continuity questions that we're going to have to wait and see. This is a big one. The Sacramento Kings have to prove that their home court advantage goes beyond just the fans. 17 of the 22 national uh, TV games that the Kings have this season are in Sacramento. That's not a coincidence. I think the NBA absolutely wants to showcase not just the beam. They want to showcase that crowd. They want to showcase that atmosphere. One of the primary reasons why the Golden State Warriors versus Sacramento Kings playoff series was the best one by far in these playoffs it wasn't just because of the quality of play on the floor. In fact, these were two offensive juggernaut teams that offensively struggled. They still were neck and neck a lot of the times, and it was really entertaining basketball. But the atmospheres, that warrior crowd that we know so well, now with the Sacramento Kings crowd that's been revitalized and turned up again like they were in the early 2000s and late 90s. Like, I think the NBA wants to showcase that. But the home court advantage for the Sacramento Kings has to go beyond just the sheer volume and presence of fans inside the Golden 1 Center. It has to be to where, and I've said this before, the Kings, every single time they play in the Golden 1 Center, regardless of who they're playing, could be the defending champion Denver Nuggets, could be the Milwaukee Bucks, pick the best team in the NBA. When they come into Sacramento, the expectation should be that the Kings are going to win because they're on their home floor. The Kings should be close to unbeatable in their building. That's how the Golden State Warriors survived last season. Remember how bad they were on the road? That's what made them vulnerable. But the, or, but the Golden State Warriors at home were nearly unbeatable. Now, the Kings were able to beat them in Game 6 in Golden State. The Warriors ultimately ended up getting the job done twice on the road in Sacramento to move on out of that series. So I don't know how much importance you want to put on the regular season there. But ultimately, if the Kings established the Golden 1 Center as the most difficult place to play in the league, period, not just because of the fans, but because of how good the Sacramento Kings shoot in their home building, how good the Sacramento Kings play in their own building, how just comfortable and confident and in rhythm they are. And that also has to do with like sleeping in your own bed, using your own practice facilities, your familiar locker room. If that all combines into a home court advantage that is second to none, that's how the Sacramento Kings can prove that they're a championship contender. All right, let's talk about some individual things that players have to prove. 
Davion Mitchell is the first guy that comes to mind for me because he's so good on the defensive end of the floor, right? Davion Mitchell's playoff defense was absurd, was super good. But the questions on the offensive end are holding him back from being a guy that you can give heavy minutes to on a nightly basis. Now, he has a tough spot because he's not really, even though he's a point guard size, he's not truly a point guard on this roster. Maybe he might get more opportunity again. Maybe we'll see more of him running the point for the Kings in the uh, in, in training camp this season and maybe a little bit in the preseason. But ultimately, like, it's De'Aaron Fox and then it's Malik Monk. So Davion's competing with Malik Monk for his point guard role. And then, of course, he's trying to back up Kevin Herter as that shooting guard role. And there are guys like Chris Duarte and maybe eventually Colby Jones that could have better offensive prospects, offensive upside. And for a team that relies so heavily on the offense, like the Sacramento Kings do, if you can't keep up on that side of the floor, ultimately that's going to hold you back from the playing time that you deserve. If the Kings could find a way to get Davion Mitchell to be an impactful enough player to where Mike Brown is having a hard time keeping him out of the game, that Mike Brown feels like he has to find 25 minutes a night or more for Davion Mitchell because of what he provides on the defensive end of the floor, the Kings are in a really, really good spot. In a lot of ways, even though Marcus Smart isn't necessarily known for his offensive game, that's what he did in Boston. He was so damn good on the defensive end of the ball, plus offensively he knew how to play his role, that the Celtics, they just had to keep him out there. And now, of course, he's in Memphis, which I think is a great pickup for the Grizzlies. But can Davion Mitchell prove on the offensive side of the ball, he doesn't have to suddenly become a 38% three-point shooter. He doesn't suddenly have to become a guy who's capable of averaging 10 points per game offensively. But when he's out there, do the Sacramento Kings offense run to the same level? Maybe not the exact same levels with the starters, because that's next to impossible, right? That's the reason they're starters. But can he play that Kings caliber of basketball on the offensive side of the ball to where defenses have to respect where he is on the floor at all times? And then defensively, when it comes to on-ball defense, we know how great off-night is. Here's two guys lumped into one. Harrison Barnes, Kevin Herter. We might get some of this context during the regular season, but mainly once the Sacramento Kings get back to the playoffs, Harrison, Kevin, prove that you're starting caliber players on a playoff team. Not a playoff team that gets eliminated in the first round, but a playoff team that's trying to make it through all the rounds, get into the NBA Finals, and ultimately lift a Larry O'Brien trophy by the end of it all. Harrison Barnes probably has more to prove in that sense than Kevin Herter does, although Harrison Barnes just signed a new deal. Kevin Herter is under contract for, I think, another couple of years. So there's no, no, three years. Yeah, another three years Kevin Herter's under contract. So there's no concern necessarily with the Kings like losing him or anything like that, or him losing his job simply because he becomes a free agent and the Kings decide to go in another direction. But we can clearly see in games where Kevin Herter is shooting the ball well and how much that spreads out the defense and how that opens up opportunity for Sabonis and Fox and Murray and everybody else. We can clearly see when, when Herter is shooting consistently from three-point range. I'm not talking about exploding for 25 to 30 points. I'm not talking about shooting 45 to 50% from three-point range like he was at times during the regular season. But in the playoffs, if Kevin Herter can be that 39-40, 41% three-point shooter throughout an entire series, he's absolutely a starting two on a playoff team that can go far in the Sacramento Kings. He is essential to a lot of the success that the Kings had. Plus, 
when you need a clutch bucket at times, he was the guy that wasn't afraid to go and get it. Remember, he nearly broke the, well, the fans nearly broke the microphones, but it was after the shot that he hit against, I think it was the Utah Jazz in Sacramento last season. Harrison Barnes. I know people poke, make fun of him and the shot that he missed in, I think it was game four in Golden State, would have put the Kings up 3-1. I know Golden State Warriors fans, for some re reason, label him as like the, 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 the piece they needed to get rid of in order to win a championship, as if replacing anybody with Kevin Durant wasn't going to be the right decision, period. Harrison Barnes has that to prove, too. Are you truly a on a good, deep-run playoff team, a starting caliber three or four, depending upon what the Kings want to do with Keegan Murray? All right, let's talk about DeMontis Sabonis. A lot of people are going to have a long list of things that DeMontis Sabonis has to prove, disregard four-fifths, if not... 90% of that list, because the way people are talking about DeMontis Sabonis right now is ridiculous. In fact, once again, I'm clashing with people on social media about it. For some reason, Warrior fans feel the need to chime in and take another victory lap with how well Kevon Looney played against DeMontis Sabonis, even though Sabonis still statistically had a very solid playoff series. We know by the eye test, and we know how by the games went, that Sabonis could have been a lot better, and I have no problem standing here and saying Kevon Looney outplayed DeMontis Sabonis. Sabonis would say the same thing. Anybody in the Kings organization would say the same thing. But I promise you, everybody in the Kings organization, and in fact, every general manager around the league, more than likely, I would say the vast majority of general managers around the league, if you had the choice between Kevon Looney and DeMontis Sabonis, they're taking DeMontis Sabonis. Like, I've been reading the, the most ridiculous nonsense on social media, including things like, the Sabonis is difficult to build around, which is ridiculous with how well the Kings run their offense through him, how much he gets his teammates involved, how he's not horrible on the defensive end. He's not known as a defensive rim protector, but nobody is going to pick a defensive rim protector center over DeMontis Sabonis and what he provides the Kings. He's the foundation of the best offense we have ever seen. Who in their right mind goes, Vintage Tyson Chandler, better rim protector. Can't do half of what DeMontis Sabonis can do on the offensive end of the floor, but amazing rim protector, amazing rebounder. I want him over Sabonis. Some people might, depending upon how their team is run, but for a, a position that the Sacramento Kings are in, for how the Kings play, you're not replacing Sabonis with anybody not named Nikola Jokic and expecting to play the same way. Nikola Jokic is the only player that it is better than DeMontis Sabonis in the way that the Sacramento Kings play their game. Of course, you might want to go out and get Joel Embiid. You might want to go out and get Bam Adebayo if you think Bam is better than him. And statistically in the playoffs, Bam has better numbers than DeMontis Sabonis is. But you bring those guys in, you're changing how you play. That change might be good, might be for the better. We don't know. Ultimately, what we do know is the way the Sacramento Kings play, DeMontis Sabonis is the second best option on the planet that they could possibly have. And the best one you're never going to get because he's a two-time MVP and now an NBA champion. That's the reality of the situation. So Sabonis doesn't need to prove that he's a top center in the league. Sabonis doesn't need to prove that he's easy to build or that he's not difficult to build around. Sabonis doesn't need to prove that he can be a good center on a playoff team. All this stuff, he proves by just stepping onto the floor and touching a basketball. DeMontis Sabonis needs to prove one thing. One thing that completely negates what the Golden State Warriors did against him. DeMontis Sabonis needs to hit that mid-range jumper. 
that aspect of his game is not so terrible that it undermines everything that he does. Remember, statistically, Sabonis still had a pretty solid playoff series. If he hits that mid-range jumper, he has a significantly better playoff series and the Kings probably win. And I'm expecting that's what he's working on all offseason long. Sabonis adds that mid-range jumper to his game or... I mean, he's already capable of hitting it if he's able to take it to, with confidence to where teams that even dare to give him that open of a look from the elbow, they're punished. And after he hits three out of the first four, or hits three straight to open up a game, they completely change the game plan because they can't give that to him anymore. At that point, Sabonis is next to unstoppable with how the Sacramento Kings use him. They're not always going to go through him to get a bucket. He's not that type of guy. Some people seem to believe that if you're the best at your position, you have to be a guy that can only go out and get a bucket for you. Yeah, I'd choose Joel Embiid or Nikola Jokic over Sabonis in that scenario. If I need to get a bucket out of my big. The Kings don't need that from Sabonis because he's not the best player. He's not their number one bucket getter. That's De'Aaron Fox. What For what the Sacramento Kings need, DeMontis Sabonis is perfect. Or nearly perfect. He'll be basically perfect if he adds that mid-range jumper. And finally... Aaron Fox, what does Fox have to prove? Well, this was really difficult for me to come up with because Fox is so good and was so good last season. What more can you ask of him? Mike Brown is asking for more of a consistent defensive approach, more of a consistent defensive effort from De'Aaron for all 48 minutes, not just the fourth quarter where we really saw him turn it on. I'm going to let Mike Brown handle that request. Here's what I want out of Fox. Prove your defensive general. You're a leader by example. We've seen that. De'Aaron leads by example. He's not going to tell anybody else to do something that he's not willing to do. But can De'Aaron be that on-court defensive general that's holding everybody accountable? And he's shown, and multiple players on this Kings roster showed an ability to do that last season. But for 48 minutes, in addition to De'Aaron playing better defense, is he holding the rest of that offense or rest of that defensive unit accountable on the defensive end of the floor? Is he truly a leader by example to where even though he's got guys like Davion Mitchell on his roster who might become or be better defenders than him by sheer effort and will alone, but can he be that guy that demands that out of his teammates like he demands that out of himself and Mike Brown is asking for that out of him and keep that consistently over the course of the year? If he can do that, I think the Sacramento Kings are a middle-of-the-pack defensive team, which to me is all this group has to be if they want to improve as a whole this season. So those are the things I think the Kings have to prove. Different individual things, different team things. What are some of the things you think the Kings have to prove this season? Let me know. You can reach me on Twitter at MattGeorgeSack. Email me MattGeorgeSports at gmail.com or leave your thoughts in the YouTube comment section down below. Today's episode of the Locked on Kings podcast is brought to you by FanDuel. And while we're not so patiently waiting to get through the rest of this uh, NBA offseason and wait till October for actual games to start. The good news is football season is about to kick off. Now, yes, it's preseason right now and preseason football sucks. We all know that. So maybe hold out for the next couple of weeks. But what you can do on FanDuel right now is you can pick your Super Bowl winner. And here's why you want to do that. Not just because if you're actually right, you can make a big bang on your buck no matter how much money you put down. But check this out. FanDuel is offering this, this unbelievable deal to where, let's say you pick the San Francisco 49ers to win the Super Bowl. In fact, I would suggest that you do so not because the Niners are guaranteed to make or win the Super Bowl. They have a very, very good chance, of course, but because I think the San Francisco Giants, are, or rather 49ers, are going to win a lot of football games this season. And every time 
the team that you pick to win the Super Bowl wins a game during the regular season, you're going to get free bonus bets that you can use to make more money on betting anything like game lines, spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. Allow your Super Bowl champion to make you money all season long, even if they don't end up being the Super Bowl champion. You can do that on FanDuel.com slash locked on. Start earning bonus bets with America's number one sportsbook. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on. It's pretty crazy to me that Terrence Davis isn't on a team yet. At least last I checked, Terrence Davis is still a free agent. Now, I know TD has a history. We don't necessarily have to get into that. I also know that Terrence Davis is inconsistent. I know he has shortcomings on both ends of the floor. He's definitely known more for his offense than he was on the defensive end. But Terrence Davis, to me, is a rotational player in the NBA. Even if his role is very similar to the role the Sacramento Kings had last season, which is some games we need you, other games you're not going to play. Like, at bare minimum, there's a roster spot somewhere for Terrence Davis to play that role. So here's my question. Why, if you're the Sacramento Kings, why not do what you did with Kent Bazemore last season? Sign him to a non-guaranteed deal. Invite him to training camp. Have him come in. He's already familiar with this offense. He's already familiar with Mike Brown and his system. Show, have him prove that after a full year with the Kings, plus whatever individual work that he's been doing during the offseason, have him prove that he can get better. He can be better. He can make a case for getting more consistent playing time here in Sacramento. We know that he really enjoyed playing for Mike Brown. He responded very, very well, well to Mike Brown's coaching, even when Mike was pulling him to the side and yelling at him for doing something wrong. Uh, now, of course, speaking from a place of ignorance of, I don't know if Terrence Davis would accept a deal like that. I don't know if Terrence Davis wants to come back to Sacramento because I imagine he'd probably want a more consistent role. I don't know if the Sacramento Kings can even offer Terrence Davis what I'm suggesting. I don't know the, the specifics of the situation. But if TD is having to choose between no contract to start the season and a training camp invite at a place that he's already familiar with, why not make that decision if you're Terrence Davis? And if you're the Sacramento Kings, like, again, he's familiar with you. You sign him to a non-guaranteed deal. If it doesn't work out, if he's the same guy or if he's worse or if somebody else looks way better and you know we don't need him at that position, you let him go. You don't owe him anything except for like the, what you initially paid him. You're done. I think it's a pretty easy scenario, pretty easy solution. Again, assuming everything behind the scenes works. But to me, I think Terrence Davis is potentially a great depth option for... Look, do you think... Chris Duarte is going to hold down that spot. I think Chris Duarte is probably better, more consistent than Terrence Davis, especially on the defensive side of the floor, right? So I have no problem saying right now Chris Duarte would 100% be higher on the depth chart than Terrence Davis. But what happens if Chris Duarte gets hurt? Or what happens if Chris Duarte is maybe slow to fit in and pick up on how the Sacramento Kings play? Again, Terrence Davis knows. Terrence Davis has proven you can call on him on a national TV game and he'll explode for over 30 points for you on a whim. Or maybe it's Colby Jones, right? When the Kings drafted Colby Jones, I thought, okay, yeah, Terrence's, Terrence's door here in Sacramento is, is closing. It's still a rookie that wasn't drafted until the second round. Maybe he's not ready yet. Would you rather have a roster spot for a guy that 
although inconsistent, we know is a ready and capable NBA player. I think some team will eventually be smart enough to scoop Terrence Davis up because I think he's a good player. And if his future with the Sacramento Kings is doesn't exist, if his time as a king is completely over, so be it. I'm not expecting Terrence Davis to be a world changer here in Sacramento. I'm not really expecting Terrence Davis to be a world changer anywhere. But if you were to tell me that there's an opportunity to have Terrence still on your roster and financially it wasn't going to break the bank to do so versus Terrence not being on any roster period and he's just sitting there waiting. If you're the Kings, why not? Why not take a flyer? So who knows? I don't think that's going to happen. Likely it's not at this point. I think all indications are pointing to Terrence is going in a completely different direction than where the Kings are going. That's fine. I'll be very surprised if Davis isn't on some kind of roster or at least getting a training camp invite somewhere. He's too good of a player. So I'm not able to make any major announcements yet because things are still in the works, but something big is happening and something big is coming to the Locked on Kings podcast, something that has never happened before in the history of this podcast going into next season. I'm very excited about it, and it's going to provide... For the first time ever, opportunity to do watch parties and live shows. Watch parties would be for Sacramento Kings road games. I would go and I would be able to watch the game with you all and mingle with you all and be able to chat with you in person and, and, and hang out with you in person while the Sacramento Kings are playing and we can root on the Kings together. Or, really I should say, and the opportunity to do a live show where... I'm doing a podcast just like I am now, but instead of talking to a camera by myself like a weirdo like I always do, I'm talking to an audience of people. I'm interacting with you, and you get to be a part of that show. That's something that I've daydreamed about doing for years of hosting this podcast. Certainly, it would be nice to talk to somebody more than myself or whatever one or two guests that I have on at any given time. These are being made possible by something that is in the works. And once I'm able to announce that, I'll be very excited about it. But Keep an eye and an ear out. Also, just let me know, like, would you be interested in attending a live podcast? Would you be interested in coming to a watch party? Is that something that you would be interested in doing? I hope so. I hope the answer is yes, because it's happening. It's going to happen one way or the other, and I'm very excited about that. I appreciate your support of the Locked on Kings podcast. As always, thank you so much for tuning in and getting through this dry part of the offseason with me again. Make sure uh, you uh, share with me your list of things that you feel the Sacramento Kings have to prove or maybe don't have to prove. Share with me your thoughts on, on Terrence Davis or maybe other guys out there that you think, hey, give him a training camp invite. Give him an on-guaranteed deal. See what happens. How could it hurt? Let me know. Let's chat about it. God knows we have time to kill, right? And of course, I'll have more great guests, more great stuff coming for you. Next week, I'm hopefully getting back on track with a little more regular upload schedule. This week was a little bit intense, a little chaotic. High school football is back, which I'm really excited about. We're getting closer to football season as well, too, with the ABC 10 duties. Uh, sometimes things get a little muddied, but I appreciate you sticking with me. I appreciate you tuning in as always. Can't wait to have you join me on the next episode of Locked on Kings. Until then, my name is Matt George. You've been listening to the Locked on Kings podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network.